0: of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Since it was preparation day in order that the bodies might not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath day of that week was a solemn one, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs be broken and they be taken down. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and then of the other one who was crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one soldier thrust his lance into his side and immediately blood and water flowed out. And eyewitnesses testified and his testimony is true. He knows that he is speaking the truth so that you also may come to believe. For this happened so that the scripture passage might be fulfilled. Not a bone of it will be broken. And again, another passage says, they will look upon him whom they have pierced. The gospel of the Lord. Lord Well, thanks for having me back, everybody. It's great to be with you again. It's nice when people come to the mission. It's really nice when people come back to the mission. (laughs) I have a post-it note on the pulpit tonight, just with some housekeeping issues and some reminders for myself. And just so you know, the first thing on the post-it note says, speak up. All right, so we got, Did everybody hear that? Just kidding, just kidding. (laughs) A couple housekeeping things. Uh, Tomorrow night we're going to have kind of a special night. Again, I was mentioning it's, in my opinion, it's the best night of the mission. There's going to be some shopping involved as well, so we're going to do some stuff with the Sacred Heart image itself. So, it's not a racket though, so if you don't want to purchase an image or you have an image at home already or even if you want to use the image that i gave you last night or we have a few extra copies out in the narthex that's fine but there's going to be a catholic goods like catholic bookstore out in the narthex tomorrow evening so if you want to be prepared for that uh, we'll even take a little break and you can do some shopping as kind of an interlude during the during the mission monsignor is at a Board of Education meeting or something in the diocese, so he couldn't be here tonight. He asked me to mention that uh, tomorrow evening there'll be a collection as well, if you want to be ready for that, there'll be a collection on the last night of the mission. And uh, hopefully i remember to mention this at the end as well, but there'll be treats in Dempsey Hall tonight at the end of our mission, so see you there. (laughs) Last night, one of the things I forgot was to tell you one of those Monsignor pranks that I was talking about at all the Masses on Sunday when I preached uh, at the parish. And so I promised I would tell two tonight. I'll tell one prank he did to me and one prank I did to him. Which one do you want to hear first? The one to me or the one I did to him? What he did to me? Okay. There was a... phone system at the parish in Huntley that had like an all-page feature on it, so you could hit a couple of buttons and it would kind of interrupt anything that was going on in any phone anywhere on the campus, right? So you know how you could page another person just immediately come in and say, Father, you have a call online too? Okay, thank you. Well, you could do that at the same time to all the phones on the campus. And that was one of his favorite pranks to do was to uh, make animal noises into the phone. and usually you're just sitting there and it's no big deal right but other times it could be you know people meet with priests for serious stuff so you could be sitting there father why do bad things happen to good people Meow. You know? I think he still might do that kind of stuff around here so. It was a lot of fun to be with him. So why have a devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus? Our theme tonight is getting to heaven the easiest way possible. That's kind of the theme of it. Why have a devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus to get to heaven the easiest way possible? All the popes since Jesus appeared to Margaret Mary Alacoque in 1638. All the popes have really strongly endorsed a devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Leo XIII did, and Pope Pius XII really really wrote a big document on devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. He calls the, the Heart of Jesus the chief sign and symbol of that threefold love, that the Heart of Jesus burns with love, a sensible love, that the heart of Jesus possesses full powers of feeling and perception, that his love for us is unto death. And he reminds us to have a devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus in two elements. And we're going to kind of focus on those tonight. Consecration and reparation. We consecrate ourselves to the sacred heart by acknowledging him as our creator and our redeemer. So that's step one in our devotion, acknowledging Jesus as our creator and our redeemer, acknowledging that he really is the king of kings, and by repenting and saying that we resolve to serve him. I have this theory that uh, there's Jesus, Jesus, that is the Jesus of the New Testament, the Jesus of scriptural data, and then our culture has kind of invented pop culture Jesus, right? So, for example... Actually, Father Kyle Mano was here, wasn't he, for a while ago? You know, he, he goes out and he does that priest with a mic thing. Have you seen that? Priest with mic. He'll go to like uh, Hollywood Square or whatever, and he'll ask people questions. I've always wanted to do that, but he's doing it now. If he, if he went out there and he said, what do you think is the number one thing Jesus says in the Gospels? What do you think is the number one message that Jesus speaks more than anything in the New Testament? What do you think people would say? Anybody? Yes, thank you. Love one another, right? Anybody know what it actually is? (laughs) Repent and believe in the gospel, right? So pop culture Jesus, love one another. And certainly that's a key theme to his whole message. But what he says more than anything else over and over again is repent and believe in the gospel. So step one, says Pope Pius XII, is to acknowledge Jesus as our Savior, as our Redeemer, and to realize we've got some repenting and some believing in the gospel to do. And the second way of uh, having a devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus is to make reparation for the indifference and the ingratitude for all the love which is not returned to that burning love God has for humanity. We'll talk more about reparation a little bit later. The Pope says he disclosed to Margaret Mary the marvels of his love and the inexplicable secrets of his Sacred Heart. So step one reason why to have a devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, it's the easy way to get to heaven. Step two, all the popes since Jesus appeared to Margaret Mary have endorsed it. And really the central reason would be Jesus talks about having a devotion, he invites us himself to a devotion to his Sacred Heart. And here's the promises that he made to St. Margaret Mary Alacoque. If we have a devotion to his Sacred Heart, here's the promises that he makes for us. For those who have a devotion and consecrate themselves to his Sacred Heart, he will give them all the graces necessary in their state of life. Sweet. He will establish peace in their homes. We won't We won't ask uh, for a show of hands or anything like that, but golly, couldn't all of us use a little bit more peace in our family and our relationships? He will establish peace in their homes. He will comfort them in all their afflictions. He will be their secure refuge during life and above all in death. Show of hands on this one. Does anybody remember like the old school devotion, the old school prayer to St. Joseph for a holy death? Anybody remember that? Yeah, that used to be like a Catholic thing that we don't necessarily do very much anymore, but it's still a great idea. i got to tell you, in priestly ministry, you, you go to a lot of hospital rooms and you see a lot of difficult situations and a lot of people that are kind of, you know, at the end of life. And without any judgment, just observation, sometimes you go to hospital rooms and you encounter folks who are kind of at the, you know, their final days, and their family members, and they've been away from our Lord. They've been away from Jesus. They haven't uh, kind of lived out their days as an intimate, real, close friend of Jesus. And you walk into those rooms, and you can kind of sense, you can kind of feel, there's there's a real fear, there's an anxiety, there's an uncertainty. Right? It's kind of scary in those rooms. And then there's other rooms where you, you can go in and you can kind of sense that these folks have had a real lifelong friendship with Christ. And in those rooms, it doesn't make it any less sad necessarily, but in those rooms there's a trust and a confidence and a hope and an anticipation to see a real friend uh, in heaven. And in those situations, just on the human level, you kind of see that and you go, that's what I want. That's what I want for myself. That's what I want for my friends and family. That's what I want for everybody is this kind of peaceful and holy death with a deep trust in our Lord's presence and his love in those very difficult moments. And so what our Lord is promising here in devotion to his sacred heart is if we stay close to his heart, we'll have a holy death. He'll bestow abundant blessings upon all their undertakings. I could use that. Sinners will find in his heart the source and infinite ocean of mercy. Lukewarm souls shall become fervent. Fervent souls shall quickly mount to high perfection, right? So if you're lukewarm, you get bumped up a notch. If you're fervent, you get bumped up another notch, right? You can't lose with this devotion. He will bless every place in which an image of his heart is exposed and honored. That's why I gave you that image last night. That's why we're going to talk about it a little bit more. That's why we'll have an opportunity to purchase some tomorrow. He will bless every place in which an image of his heart is exposed and honored. He'll give to priests the gift of touching the most hardened hearts And those who shall promote this devotion to the Sacred Heart shall have their names written in his heart." Right? So there you go. The popes endorse it. Jesus says, no one who has a devotion to my heart will ever lose his soul. No one who has a devotion to my heart will ever lose his soul. Is that a thing that can even happen in 2018? Is it still possible to lose your soul? Here's, here's what I kind of like to think about this one. There's a, a deacon I know who gives a, a wonderful story, or he includes this story in one of his homilies uh, every so often. And he says he was driving down, not Randall Road, not everything's about Randall Road, but he was driving down I-90 on his way into Chicago. And uh, there was a lot of uh, construction going on, so it was sometime in the last 20 years. <laughs> and he was on his way into Chicago, and uh, the construction, like speed limit in the construction zone was 45 miles an hour. That's what was posted on I90. So this good, wonderful holy deacon is driving his car down I-90 toward Chicago. 45 miles an hour, all right? And he keeps getting passed by people that are waving at him with this really strange wave, right? <laughs> they're, not, they're not using their whole hand when they wave at him and they go back. So he starts to think to himself, am I the only person going 45? Maybe I'm being crazy. So pretty soon he's going 55 down I-90 and they're still zooming past him. They're still do, doing the special wave. So he says, maybe I need to go 65. They're still zooming past him, doing the special wave. So all of a sudden, he's going 75 miles an hour down I-90, and people aren't passing him anymore. He's going along with the flow. And what do you see up on the right? A state trooper, right? So the trooper throws on the lights, pulls him over. He says, do you know how fast you were going? Yeah, I was going 75 in a 45. And uh, the state trooper says, "Uh, why were you doing that? And he says, well, uh, the thing of it is, was I was actually, several miles ago, I was going the speed limit, but people kept going past me, and I felt like uh, I needed to really speed up to go with traffic. And so that's what got me going 75 miles an hour. And the state trooper said, oh, why didn't you say so? Have a nice day. (laughs) Not, right? (laughs) He got a ticket for like $350. And the same thing can happen in the Catholic life, right? We can kind of exist in this world, we can exist in this culture, and we can say to ourselves, nobody else is following the teachings that I always thought I was supposed to follow. Nobody else is living the way that Jesus asks of me. The world is living much different than what the gospel teaches. Maybe I'm the only person that believes this. Maybe I'm the weirdo. Maybe I'm the crazy one. Maybe I should start living the way they live. And little by little, all of a sudden, we're going way over the speed limit in the moral life, and it's possible to lose our souls in the process. Jesus reminds us, stay close to my sacred heart. Practice a daily devotion to my sacred heart and losing your soul is not something you have to worry about. The next reason why it's good to have a devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, it's a particular devotion for the family. It's not necessarily a devotion for the convent or to have a little image inside the rectory chapel. Because it's the very heart of God, it's so deeply connected with the sacrament of matrimony And the family participates in the mystery of Christ's love in a special way. So we always talk about this at marriages, but whenever I celebrate a marriage, usually I do the gospel, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, because it's a reminder that when married people live out their vocation faithfully, it's a symbol, it's a sign, it's an icon to all the rest of us what the love of God looks like. When married people love each other faithfully, it reminds us this is how God loves his people. And so, devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus is a perfect devotion for the family. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit later about making the image of the Sacred Heart the tabernacle of your home. So last night we looked at the image, and tomorrow we're going to talk a little bit about how to enthrone the image in the home. But tonight, we're going to examine the prayer we say every day, right? The daily offering prayer. Did you all get a copy of the little green one? Am I loud enough so far? First, I want to touch on just a little bit of nerdy history on devotion and devotionalism. Sometimes people can get the idea that after the Second Vatican Council, which brought about some reforms in the 1960s, after the Second Vatican Council, the church fell away from devotions. It's not really something we should be doing anymore. But if you read through the documents of Vatican II and uh, all the rest of church teaching, never did that happen anywhere. Here's what kind of happened. Uh, Maybe somebody here can corroborate these facts since I wasn't there, but I believe the gist of it is, back in the day, when you'd go to Holy Mass, which is the most powerful, most perfect prayer we have, back in the day, the people didn't necessarily participate in the worship of Almighty God. The priest kind of did some stuff up here, kind of on his own, did it in Latin wasn't really a great sound system you didn't always like hear what he was saying sometimes it was a little bit mumbly Latin and so out in the pews the people would pray probably the best devotion of our Catholic tradition the Holy Rosary right every once in a while a bell would ring you'd look up and it was time to pay attention when the bell was done ringing you could go back to your rosary right and so there were devotions out in the pews and the Holy Mass happening up here can I get some head nods on that is that about right okay And then Vatican II came along and had this great idea. What if we all prayed together, right? Instead of the priest doing his own prayers and the people doing their own prayers, what if we prayed the Mass together? We had a little dialogue. The priest could say, The Lord be with with you. Right? And you'd have your responses, and we offered this act of worship together to God. And so that's what the Second Vatican Council reformed. And so, what the liturgical movement and the Second Vatican Council sought to do was to make first things first, second things second, and third things third. I'll go through that one more time. Just kidding. Right? And so, the idea was devotions are great but Mass is actually better, Mass is more sublime, because it's the sacrifice of Jesus on the altar, it's number one. So it wouldn't make a ton of sense to come to the most powerful, most sublime, most noble act of worship a human being could offer, and then privately do number two or number three, right? So the Vatican Council said, let's do Mass together and devotions later. And in a lot of places, The spirit of the times kind of mixed that up and said we're just going to do mass we're going to do away with devotions but that was never the intention of the liturgical movement you with me on that so this is a great devotion the daily offering that never really went away but did maybe lose a little bit of popularity after the 1960s and so it's the easy way to get to heaven so i want to talk about it this evening okay we're just going to break it up in little parts and talk about each little section of the daily offering First, O Jesus, the holy name, the holy name of Jesus. There's power in this name when Christians say it with faith. Our saints tell us it's the name that keeps demons away. It's the terror of demons. They're afraid of it. Whenever we're going through something, if it's a challenge, if it's a darkness, if it's evil, if it's a struggle, if it's a headache, if it's a tough meeting, We can call on the name of Jesus, oh Jesus, and evil has to flee. Uh, Padre Pio said we should say this name often and we should shoot this name to heaven like little arrows all throughout the day, calling on the name of Jesus. Our saints remind us there's no salvation outside this holy name. This name means God saves us. And again, There's all kinds of ways to address Jesus, right? There's all kinds of ways to address the second person of the Blessed Trinity, Lord, Brother, Redeemer. And right at this moment in history, remember last night we talked about the big, huge, glaring heresy of Jansenism, that God looks at his people and he is fundamentally displeased. When he looks at us, we seem foul and festering to him, that we're unlovable and that this King and Redeemer uh, is kind of has this disdain for his people. Right when the world is believing that error, Jesus shows up and says, Call me Jesus. Speak that name. It's a weapon, it's a tool in our spiritual arsenal, so we want to use it. Second, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, we want to remember there's power in this name and there's power in this heart so full of love for humanity as well. Uh, It's a huge big theological principle. God never acts arbitrarily, right? Some of our Christian brothers and sisters would tell us that that uh, in choosing the Blessed Virgin Mary to be kind of the the mother of Jesus, it just so happened, just kind of the way the dice fell, that Mary was chosen. But remember, even before we get to the Mary issue, God never acts arbitrarily. That is a huge theog- theological principle. And so, to put it another way, God never plays eeny, meeny, miny, moe, right? It's not as if He had Elizabeth and Barbara and Mary lined up and He said, eeny, meeny, miny, moe. <laughs> Mary. Okay, just so happens Mary's going to bring the Savior of the world into human history, right? From all time, he knew in his providence and in his perfect plan that it was going to be Mary. We're reminded with, without Mary, there's no Jesus, right? So everything we say about Mary leads us back to our Lord. Jesus gave her to us on the cross and uh, spiritually speaking their two hearts beat in unison and that's what we want to happen to all of us so she's a great example for us and um, as we pray this prayer on a daily basis the whole thing will serve as a good examination of conscience but this little part works well as being an examination of conscience for us how's our marian devotion right how's our relationship with the mother of god who's our mother as well. You know, one of my favorite things about Mary is that she really is a true mother for all of us. She looks out for us. I remember when I was in like uh, maybe third grade, I learned a very important lesson about life. Um, There were some kids at school, nothing too terrible, you know, but they were teasing me a little bit. So I came home from school that day and mom said, well, how was school today? It was pretty good, you know, the kids were kind of picking on me a little bit. And all of a sudden, there was a mom-shaped cloud where she used to be standing, right? And she was in the principal's office taking care of this little issue, right? So I had to kind of fly under the radar and that sort of stuff, but she's a mama bear, right? When something is happening to one of the cubs, she goes into defense mode, right? The mother of God does the same thing for every person in this room. Whenever there's a struggle or evil that's about to come our way, As long as we uh, call on her, she comes to our aid every single time. I offer you, right? I offer you. Remember when I was a brand, brand new priest, one of the first uh, head-scratcher questions I got, a guy came into the office and said, you know, in this prayer it says, I offer you, but who are we to offer? I thought Jesus was the only one that could offer an acceptable sacrifice to the Father. And so here we are saying this prayer, and it says, I offer you. Who am I to offer God anything, right? Reminds me of a a friend I have who, she's probably the happiest person I know. She was, funny story, she was really extroverted in college when we were at Marquette. Uh, Real social butterfly, loved to talk, she was very animated. And uh, she wanted to become a nun, but she just didn't know what kind of nun she wanted to become, right? And so uh, she was going on all these nun runs, checking out different convents around the country and different religious orders and different communities. And I remember her; she came back from one of the nun runs, and I was like, so how was it? I don't like their habit. (laughs) I couldn't see myself wearing that habit my whole life. You know, it's kind of an ugly habit. I remember I was about to go into seminary, and I remember just thinking, yeah, I don't know if that's going to work out, you know, lifelong nun thing based on the clothes they wear, but we'll see. Anyway, she's been uh, professed for like 10 years, and the religious order she chose is the Poor Clares in Kokomo, Indiana. One of like the most hardcore, uh, difficult lifestyles. They don't wear shoes, you know, they wear the hair-scratchy shirts under their habits, and um, they live behind the grill their whole lives, they'll never leave. When their family members pass away, they'll bring the casket like to their chapel and they'll view it through the grill, but they don't get to like leave and go to the funeral or anything like that. I mean, it is a hardcore, serious uh, lifestyle. I do have to say, though, <clears throat> they don't allow you to have like little conversations with them you know once they enter the convent even if you're a priest you don't get to do this little special little parlor time or see how things are going so I went down for her uh, profession and it was a big mass and there were a bunch of priests and everything but I was the only priest staying over and heading out the next day and like the little chaplain's quarters they have that's not attached to the convent or anything and so I remember Mother Superior said to me Father, the priest that is supposed to come and say Mass for our community at 5.15 in the morning tomorrow morning can't make it, (laughs) and we can't find any other priest to say Mass for us at 5.15 in the morning. Do you think you could, since you'll be here, do you think you could say Mass for us at 5.15? And I said, Mother, it would be my honor to celebrate Mass for all the sisters could I have a private audience with Sister Katie? (laughs) And I mean, it wasn't her first rodeo, so mother knew what was going on. And she was like, "Uh, sure, we'd be delighted to allow that. So I got to talk to Sister Katie one-on-one, and she is the happiest person I've ever met in my entire life. And it's, it's just crazy how happy you can be if you're really doing the Lord's will by all of our worldly standards, you know, how could she be happy? She has nothing. They eat like tuna casserole like six nights a week there. (laughs) For crying out loud, she has no Netflix subscription. (laughs) How could you be happy without Netflix? And yet she's the happiest person I've ever met. And so when it was my uh, ordination day, she did a couple cool things. She sent me a a little package and a letter. And uh, you know, the nuns, they like make their own hosts, you know, for mass. So she sent me a little letter that had like three hosts in a little package. She said, this isn't my house job. We all get jobs in the convent and this making the host isn't my job, but I got to work with the nun who makes the host. And so I made you three hosts. You can use the other two whenever you want, but I was hoping you'd use this host for your first mass as a priest, since I can't be there. This is kind of a way I could be there, right? So that was pretty cool. And then, uh, good thing I didn't have two friends that became nuns, you know? <laughs> but then uh, the other thing was she wrote a letter, and it it's still just so powerful because it's it's true. It's theologically true. But when you take a step back and think about it, it's just so radical and unbelievable, and on God's part, it seems like a bad business model almost, but she wrote in there, it's amazing to think that through your vocation, through the holy priesthood, when you speak the words of consecration, the creator of the whole universe must obey you. At the words of a priest, God must obey and descend upon the holy altar. Now, of course, that's all in the framework of the system he designed and invented and the church he gave us. But it is true that there's never gonna be, nor has there ever been a time where the priest is at the altar and he says, take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body. And the Holy Spirit says, I'm busy today. That never happens, right? He always shows up through that prayer because of our sacramental configuration. and. Analogously, it happens through baptism as well, right? So we never use the the last part of the phrase when we talk about the priest acting in the person of Christ. We always say in persona Christi, that's the Latin phrase for in the person of Christ. But the priest acts in persona Christi capitis, in the person of Christ the head. But through baptism, every single Christian acts in persona Christi every single christian acts as a little icon of jesus so when we unite ourselves to him and to his voice in that way through our baptism we're able to offer to god our bodies as the book of romans tells us and we make ourselves a living offering acceptable to god again what would that look like right what are we offering to him what kind of lives are we living in order that it would be a sacrifice pleasing to God. Again, as we pray this prayer every day, we're breaking it down uh, so specifically so that it can be a little bit of prayer fodder that we can chew on and reflect on, but also serve as a pretty good examination of conscience for us. What kind of a life, what sort of a life do I want to offer to God? What do we offer to Him? Our prayers. You know, I think, uh, again, if we did the Father Kyle Mano thing and pulled people on the street as priest with a mic, and we said, what is the most important thing in a prayer life? I think whether we articulate it or not, kind of what we're looking for is quality. That's what the believer wants. You hear it all the time. Father, I went on a retreat like 15 years ago, and I came off of that retreat, and I was so excited, and I felt so close to God, and I felt so connected, and now I, I just feel kind of distant, or like I'm in a rut, or I'm not I'm not feeling it anymore. We kind of think when we go to prayer, we should feel something, right? Hey, self-included, I want the same thing. Every time I pray, I want to feel the warm tinglies, right? I want to feel warm, and I want to feel good all over, and I want to feel like this big revelation happen but more often than not it doesn't take place and so we can think to ourselves that quality is the most important thing in a prayer life but the real thing that's most important is fidelity that we stay faithful that we have a prayer plan and we carry it through so maybe that's 10 minutes of reading sacred scripture a day Maybe that's a rosary a day. Maybe it's a decade of the rosary a day. Maybe it's 15 minutes in the Adoration Chapel in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament. Maybe it's an hour. Whatever it is, we want to make sure that it's doable and that we can sustain it for a long period of time so that we stay faithful to the prayer program, right? Now, usually what happens is after a a mission like this, we hear something like that, we need to be praying every single day for a predetermined, amount of time or a predetermined prayer activity, and we come off of the retreat and we say, okay, I can do that. I can read the gospel each day, or I could pray for 10 minutes every day. And we start out on the first day and we go, wow, this is so beautiful. I feel so good after this prayer. This is great. You know, I think I read something about Mother Teresa where she would experience like a dark night of the soul or something, or the spiritual life was really hard for her at times. I don't know what her problem was. I love this. This is so easy to do. I'm being so fed by this. This is just wonderful. And day two happens, and day three happens, and we're doing pretty good for a week, and we feel like our halo's on just perfect. And then day nine happens. And we say, well, on day eight, The prayer was kind of dry, and I I didn't really feel the warm tinglys. I didn't feel God's presence like I did on day one, two, and three. And I thought more about what was in the cabinets to make for dinner than I really did think about the gospel reading for the next Sunday anyway. So what is my prayer really doing anyway? I'm not even doing it right. It's not really paying off. So I know what I'll do. I won't pray today, but I'll pray 20 minutes tomorrow." right? And as soon as we do that, we've given the devil an opportunity to kind of come into our prayer life and squash us and discourage us and distract us from the matter at hand, which is a daily relationship with our Lord. So that's my real encouragement is uh, we should all have kind of a a spiritual routine, a spiritual regimen in place that we can stay faithful to on a daily basis. And a rule of discernment from our old man, St. Ignatius Loyola, is we never want to change the plan when we don't like the plan, okay? So if we say we're gonna pray for 10 minutes a day, or we're gonna pray one decade of the rosary a day, and for 15 days we love it, and then we get into this kind of rut where, oh, I am so sick of praying a decade of the rosary a day. Uh, What if I did something else? What if I read the gospel a day? Don't do it then. Don't change when you're in the rut. Change when you love praying a decade of the rosary. And that's something we can offer to our God. We offer him our prayers, but we also offer him our works. Christianity is fundamentally a religion about believing and doing, going hand in hand, right? Uh, Some of our Christian brothers and sisters who aren't Catholics kind of think, Maybe we have a a system where we just check off the boxes in Roman Catholicism. We just put the scapular on or we just put the rosary in the pocket and we're set to jet. Well, we all know we don't actually believe that. We have to believe in the heart. But the flip side of that is if we really do believe, it means we'll act a certain way. I always think of this crazy and zany example. If uh, we change church teaching all of a sudden, and uh, on a wedding day, you could make up your own vows at a Catholic wedding, right? And so the couple is standing there, and the husband says to the the bride, or the groom says to the bride, honey, I love you so much. I love you beyond words. But uh, I have to tell you, as we get married now, and we go through life, and let's say you're... uh, your sister gets married at five years from now and uh, there's her wedding and her wedding reception. I want you to know that I'm not going to go. Because right? <laughs> that's not really my cup of tea. I'm going to stay home. I'm going to sit in the Lazy Boy and I'm going to watch the Blackhawks. But just know how much I love you. From the lazy boy, right? (laughs) Crazy. It's never going to fly, right? They'll be married for like five minutes. It's not going to work out. When we love, we act upon the love. We act a certain way. And so we act as if we believe in our Lord and we offer those works to God himself. We offer him our joys as well. A little interesting background on uh, this daily offering prayer. Pope Pius XII kind of composed it and it wasn't in the original Italian version of the prayer and so a little Italian nun came and said, we offer him ourselves, our prayers, our works, our sufferings, our sorrows. Shouldn't we be offering God our joys as well? And the Pope immediately said, oh yeah, that's a really good point. So he put joys in there. Because as Pope Francis reminds us, the gloomy Christian is a contradiction in terms, right? There's no such thing as the gloomy Christian. There's the suffering Christian, there's the Christian going through sorrow, but fundamentally, belief in Christ brings about a wellspring of joy in the soul. Two little stories on that. You know, in the Diocese of Rockford, I I don't know if you know how it works, but when priests get assigned to a parish, here's what happens your phone says 815-399-4300 and you go boom and you answer it hello and then you get assigned to a parish and you hang up. That's kind of how it works. We just get sent where we're needed uh, and I suppose maybe there's some kind of a dialogue process but in general you just answer the phone call and you're told where you're going. My uh, aunt is a, a Lutheran and they have a little bit different system maybe you're familiar with it my aunt Sandy was telling us they have the call process in their uh, denomination of Lutheranism and so what they do is they get a bunch of candidates together they interview them and then they do uh, I love this idea by the way I think it's it would just be wildly entertaining if we did this as Catholics but they have like an audition weekend for preaching you know. So the pastor like comes up and gives like a, a an audition homily to the congregation and then they kind of vote yay or nay on the homily. But uh, they did the interview and there was this one candidate, my aunt was telling me, really stood out on paper, just was very accomplished, had a few degrees, had done some seminary teaching and all kinds of work around the world and been in some, some big places and some big churches and, and looked really promising. But when they got into the call process and met the person, She was telling me he just didn't seem to exude joy. He didn't seem like a joyful person. And at least to our congregation, it didn't matter how many degrees he had and how long his curriculum vitae was. If he wasn't a joyful guy, we didn't necessarily want him leading our congregation. I think she was onto something there, right? The gloomy Christian is a contradiction in terms. There's a joy that goes along with being Christian. I have a very close friend who's been my friend my whole life and is really kind of uh, unchurched so to speak so never did like CCD as a kid never did RE or any anything like that but is of kind of a Christian tradition so on the one hand It kind of bums me out as a Catholic priest because I I wish all my friends knew and had a real relationship with Jesus Christ. On the other hand, it has proven very useful over the years because I get to kind of see our faith through his eyes and kind of gain that perspective, at least for dialogue and understanding. And uh, he got a brand new house, he and his new wife, and I went over and like on the TV, being from some kind of a Christian tradition, they'd put out on the TV a nativity set. And right in the middle was the baby Jesus and like a sheep and an oxen and uh, maybe like a lamb there right in the middle. And then over on this side was the Blessed Virgin Mary. And over on this side was Saint Joseph. So I did what any Catholic priest would do, right? I moved the sheep and the oxen away. (laughs) And I put Mary and Joseph right by the baby Jesus. And he said to me, that's the problem with your stupid religion. You have rules about where the figurines go. (laughs) And I said, well, never mind what I said. (laughs) But I think that might be the take that a lot of people have on our Catholic Christianity is that it's a moral code, it's a series of no's, we have a whole book written in Latin on where figurines go, but of course that's not at the heart of what it means to be Catholic. To be Catholic is to have this real relationship with Christ and exhibit some joy. We also offer him our sufferings. We won't spend a lot of time on that because we did spend a fair amount of time on it last night but just that truly catholic and and beautiful concept that when we suffer it can be meaningless when we unite our sufferings to the suffering of Jesus it has meaning it has power it can be transformative it brings about our own holiness and it can bring about the holiness in our families and in our relationships so in this daily prayer, whatever sufferings we go through, we offer them to Christ. It could be huge. It could be our own cancer. It could be the cancer of a child or somebody we love. It could also be seemingly trivial things, right? So I'm driving over here on Randall Road to do this mission tonight. And I get to this spot where like, there's a lot of cars backed up and there's this person coming out of like a a drive for a uh, business. And, you know, the it's a mile long, this trail of cars, so I do the Christian thing, right? And this car that's trying to get out of the driveway, I let him go. I give them the wave, go ahead. And guess what, everybody? No thank you wave. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing, right? Those sorts of tiny, little trivial, unimportant things, all those inconveniences we can offer up on a daily basis. Of this day, says the daily offering prayer, We offer to God uh, everything on a daily basis, baby steps. Our Lord says over and over again in the Gospels, live in the moment. There are so many ways we cannot live in the moment. When I was a baby priest, one of the big lessons I was taught was, anybody know Monsignor Dan Hermes? He's a priest hero of mine. He he was the founding pastor, I think, of St. John Newman here in St. Charles then he went to Holy Family in Rockford for a while, and then he was at uh, St. Thomas the Apostle in Crystal Lake for a long time. That's where I really got to know him, and he just retired last June. But he always talked about living in the moment. When you're in the parish, go all into the parish. Live in the moment. Be present to the parish when you're on your day off and you go home to visit your family, be present to your mother, be present to your dad, right, and don't be constantly on your phone worrying about what's happening at the parish. Be present to the people in front of you. There's all kinds of ways in which we could do this. Um, My priest buddies and I, I hate to say it, but we're just of a certain lifestyle where we're kind of glued to our phones, right? So we have a new thing where when we go to dinner we just learn this game we set down our phone and we stack them up and whoever grabs their phone or looks at their phone first has to pay for dinner. (laughs) So maybe it's not the phone or or being tied to email or something but we all have ways in which we're not living in the moment and our Lord reminds us be present to the person in front of you, live in the moment. Uh, Our Father talks about our daily bread and sometimes I think uh, We get the idea that when we we pray and we ask for this daily bread, give us this day our daily bread, we get the idea that it's bread we receive day after day after day after day after day. That's not really what the Greek means. The Greek means give us our right now bread. Give us the bread for this moment. Give us the bread that can sustain us right now. Tomorrow's evils are sufficient for tomorrow. Live in the moment in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world. This is a big one. When we think about the Mass, we have to remember that it is the most powerful, most sublime prayer that can possibly be offered because it's not us who's doing the work, it's not the priest who's doing the, doing the work, it's Jesus who acts in the Mass. And just by way of reminder, the Mass is the representation of Christ on the cross. That's the most important hyphen in the English language. It's not the representation. It's the re-presentation of Christ on the cross. So every time we come to Mass, we get in a spiritual DeLorean, so to speak, and we go back to the future, so we're literally there as he offers himself on the cross, as he goes into the tomb, as he rises from the dead, as he ascends to the Father we're there as he carries out our own redemption and the redemption of the whole world, and we can participate in that, right? So, I'm not really good at science, but from what I understand, the light we see is a light year old. There's a burst on the sun, it travels through space and time, and a light year later, we see that light on earth. You with me on that? It's a past event that we're seeing later in time. That's what happens when we go to Holy Mass. There's only the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross, but it's a past event that we see happening later in time every time the worthy celebration of the Holy Mass is carried out. So we are truly and deeply participating in our own redemption and the redemption of the whole human race every time we go to Mass. Here's what our faith teaches us. Popes have said it in documents like Mystici Corporis and the Second Vatican Council, and even many of the prayers that are offered in the Holy Mass remind us of this concept. If the Mass ceased being offered in time, redemption would cease being offered in time. If the Holy Mass stopped being offered, we would no longer be able to get to heaven. That's how important the Mass is. Now let me clarify one thing. That does not mean you have to be Catholic and you have to have attended a Mass to get to heaven. What it means is all the graces of salvation that are poured out into the world flow through the channel, flow through the portal, the door, the gateway, which is the Holy Mass. St. Padre Pio said it would be easier for the world to exist without the sun than without the Holy Mass, right? That's how big it is. We participate in our own redemption every time we go. I always think that puts things in a little bit of perspective, right? Sometimes we Catholics, we can get a little focused on the music or the lighting or the thickness or the thinness of the padding on the pews or the temperature or the sound system or all sorts, all sorts of different things. But it kind of reorients our whole perspective when we realize what it is we're going to. Now, those graces flow out into our lives in all sorts of different ways. And so if we have the sublime privilege of making it to Mass on a daily basis, that's great. But a lot of us just can't swing that. So as we pray this prayer every day, we unite all of this to that most powerful prayer that's happening on altars all throughout the world, all day long, every day. I offer them for all the intentions of your sacred heart." Uh, I think this is a great thing you could make a note of. This would be such a good prayer time, such a good meditation to think about this. The heart in Latin is the word core, so you could C-O-R, kind of like the Spanish corazon. You can translate it as heart, or you could also translate it a little bit more literally as core. The heart is the core of the human person. I offer them for all the intentions of your sacred heart. So here's the meditation question. What is at the core of what Jesus desires? What do you think Jesus desires on a daily basis? What's in his heart? And then, do I desire that? Do I desire the same things Jesus desires? And if I don't, maybe I could ask for the grace of just beginning to desire the desire for what he desires, right? And get going on the spiritual path. For all the intentions of your sacred heart, the salvation of souls. St. Ignatius Loyola says, This is what the Christian ought to have in mind constantly, the salvation of souls. You know, um always be selling. Have you heard that little sales model before? Always be selling to be a successful salesperson. I like to use ABE, always be evangelizing, right? Always think about where we can be sharing our faith and bringing bringing others closer to Christ. So of course we do this in parish ministry. Uh, Do it all the time. Somebody comes in and they want to talk about how uh, difficult it was to lose their dog recently, you know, and Father, I know this sounds crazy, it's not a person, it's a dog, but my dog is kind of like a person, you know, and I, I just really miss my dog. Totally get it. You should go on a Light of the World retreat here at the parish, right? And so any opportunity we have in discussing things with people to always be evangelizing whatever situation presents itself. I love to do it to telemarketers, right? <laughs> any Seinfeld fans here? Anybody watch Seinfeld ever? There's a one episode where the telemarketer calls him and he says, "I really can't talk to you right now, but I could call you later. Could you give me your home number?" He said, "No, we can't really do that. Oh, you probably don't want people calling you at home. No, not really. Well, now you know how I feel, right?" There's that Seinfeld joke. I don't actually mind talking to them. They'll call me and ask me, you know, how my chronic pain is going or something, if I've talked to anybody about that, and I'll say, "Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior?" I've done it hundreds of times, I've never had anybody keep talking. They always hang up the phone. (laughs) So it's win-win, really, right? I could evangelize if they're open to it and if they're not, then they leave me alone. I was, uh, I don't know if you go to Geneva for meals very much, but down by the train station we have Burger Local. Oh, if you like good burgers, that's the place to be. So every once in a while Father Bachlin shows up there at Burger Local and I was parking over by the train station because it was so crowded and I was walking across the street and there were some college-age young women there who had some kind of a petition. And they said, could we ask you a question? And I said, sure, could I ask you one first? Sure. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And uh, they literally like ran away. They were like, no thanks, no thanks. I guess you don't need my signature for the rainforest that bad after all. Right? But in any opportunity we can to kind of spread the gospel, it would be good to do so. A few things to remember with that, we don't need a soapbox, we don't need to stand on a platform, but there are a few good principles for effective evangelization. The biggest one is, don't say you statements, say I statements. Right? So, You know, Barry, you would be a lot better off if you would go to Mass a little bit more often. We have these priests at St. Pat's and St. Charles that are very dynamic. You would really like to hear them. You should come sometime. You could even have a donut after mass. You, 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 right? Kind of off-putting. When we witness to our faith and we say, I gotta tell you. I was tired on Sunday, and I didn't really think I was going to pay attention at Mass. I was kind of daydreaming. And then Father Ganella got up, and he gave the best homily I've ever heard in my entire life. I really got a lot out of it. Uh, You might like to hear him sometime. Would you like to come with me anytime I invite you to join me? The I statements go a lot farther with evangelization. And another principle that I think is really important to remember as Catholics when we're evangelizing sharing our faith is just don't duck we don't even have to bring up the topics very often they kind of fall into our laps we're at a family wedding reception we sit down to dinner and our fallen away family member says why did that priest in the homily talk about you have to go to mass every week what's that all about A lot of times we have this temptation to go, Brenda, can we just have a nice dinner and talk about this some other time? right? And we duck. But sometimes when we lean into it and we go for it, it creates great opportunities for conversation and sharing our faith. Here's a bold claim, but I actually believe it. If we don't want to evangelize, if we don't want to tell other people in our lives about Jesus, then we haven't actually been evangelized ourselves. If we don't want to evangelize, then we haven't actually been evangelized ourselves. Now, a little clarification on that. Everybody, I think, gets a little nervous about sharing their faith. We kind of live in a culture, in a climate, in a context where there's a couple of subjects that if you're a polite, kind, good, upstanding citizen, you just don't talk about, and religion is one of them. So we don't want to come across the wrong way. We don't want to put people off. So there's some of the natural just anxiety from that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the whole, I'm okay, you're okay. We've all got our thing going. Um, So if that's the case, if we don't want to share our faith with everybody, look for an opportunity to kind of get set on fire. There's all sorts of different ways to do it. Read a book, watch a video. Uh, pick up a little more prayer time, ask for the grace to be set on fire. That's the number one way. And I'll do the commercial here for Monsignor Steve and your parish. I think your parish has the Light of the World retreat here, right? Isn't, Isn't that correct? Yeah, you do that? Coming up in March? Yeah, that's a wonderful way to get set on fire with sharing the good news. The reparation for sin. So in this way, we remember that we can kind of repair some of the unlove that our Lord experiences and his love being poured out and not returned. We want to remember Jesus isn't mad. He's not upset. But remember, we talked about last night, his heart is real. It started to beat. It stopped beating. And it started beating again. His heart is a real human heart. And while he is divine, that unlove hurts him. And so reparation is a way for, we, for us to stand there with him and say, you know what, Lord, I love you. I love you like crazy. I sin and I fall down sometimes, but I still love you and I'm not going anywhere. We pray for the, union, the reunion of Christians on a daily basis. You know, uh, William James wrote a philosophical work a while ago that was wildly popular called The Variety of Religious Experiences. And I think we still kind of believe it, what he was talking about was we choose our religion based on our temperament. All right? So Christianity, eh, it's basically all the same, but there's different flavors based on temperament. So if you're kind of traditional, Mediterranean, like a good organ and some incense and a little bit of bells, Roman Catholicism is the religion for you. If you're very, very smart and you like a nice two-hour sermon that's very well thought out, and presents a very deep and well-constructed argument, maybe Unitarian is the religion for you, right? If you're a little more kinesthetic and you like to move around a lot, maybe Pentecostal would be the religion for you, right? They're all basically the same, but you just kind of pick one based on your temperament. Well, our faith reminds us that Jesus prays for the unity of his church. And so we don't want to accept pluralism, we want to pray that while our brothers and sisters in the Christian family are wonderful, that ultimately one day we hope to all be completely united. Uh, I offer them for the intentions of our bishops. We remember that the devil attacks the shepherds so that the sheep will scatter. Boy are we living through that right now, right? So we wanna pray for dad. We wanna be truly Catholic. Ignatius of Antioch, one of our great saints reminds us To be united with Christ is to be united with the bishop, and when we're separated from the bishop, we're separated from Christ himself, right? As a priest, I know this better than anybody. There are a few good old-fashioned, truly American Catholic customs. Bingo. (laughs) The Friday night fish fry. The parish festival and gossiping about the bishop. It's kind of built into uh, uh, the American Catholic pastime, but we remember the devil strikes the shepherd so that the sheep will scatter, so we want to pray for our bishop and support him and love him on a daily basis. We pray for each other. We pray for all apostles of prayer. I always tell married couples, um, you got to be the number one fan of each other right? If you don't think she's the most wonderful woman in the world nobody else will. If you don't think he's the most wonderful guy in the world nobody else will. You gotta be each other's biggest cheerleaders because we don't live in a world that's supporting us. We live in a world that likes to see marriage torn down. And the same is true with Christians. The world is not gonna give us any helpsees, so we're brought together to pray for one another and support each other on the journey and last we pray for the Holy Father's prayer intention. We pray for the intentions of our, of our Pope, all right? So here's the homework for tonight, everybody. Well, let me ask this question first. I, at The last time I asked this question, one person did. Did anybody grow up with this prayer taped on the bathroom mirror? Yes, we have one, yeah. This is like an old school Catholic custom, right? So if you want, you could tape this to the bathroom mirror, and then you'll remember to pray this prayer every day. If you're a little bit like me, you could take a picture of it on your phone and make it like your screensaver, so that every time you look at your phone it comes up. That's another way to do that. But put this prayer in a place where you'll pray it every day. That's the homework, okay? So... Speak up. Did I do okay on that one? There'll be a collection tomorrow. We're going to have some shopping uh, as well. So if you want to bring some money to do some religious shopping tomorrow, please do come tomorrow. Again, it's my favorite night of the mission. Uh, if you can bring a friend or bring somebody that's been away from the church, tomorrow would be a, night, a good night to do that. And I think I promised you one more prank story. Can I tell you the one of how I pranked Monsignor? This is one of my favorite ones. I was a brand, brand new baby priest. It was my first Christmas as a priest. And so Monsignor does this thing where he'll give you the schedule for like the next three months of Masses. And uh, back in the day I was like a high school teacher during the day at Marion Central Catholic High School up in Woodstock. And sometimes Monsignor would forget like I teach in the middle of the day so I can't actually do the noon Mass. So you just make those little notations on the, the draft of the Mass schedule and you give them back to him and then he would give you the final copy like a day or two later. And so there is one time where I uh, got the schedule and for Christmas I X'd out December 24th and December 25th and put unavailable. (laughs) And about 10 seconds after I put it in his mailbox he was standing in the doorway of my office and he's such a wonderful guy and doesn't really use his, lose his cool that much. You probably don't get to see this very often, but when he does get upset, it's all over his little Irish face, right? <laughs> he, gets, he gets pretty red. So he's standing in my doorway and he's red and he says, uh, John, you, you said you're unavailable on uh, Christmas? And I said, Monsignor, I spend Christmas with my family, I can't say Mass on Christmas. <laughs> And he went from red to purple, <laughs> and I just said, "Gotcha!" And he threw his head. Back. <laughs> thanks, thanks for coming tonight, everybody. Again, there's going to be treats in Dempsey Hall. Would you mind standing for a blessing in our closing hymn? The Lord be with you. The Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.